0: Hi everybody, I'm Raj, I'm Ashwin, and this is the Blood Cancer Talks podcast. Uh, today we are excited to talk about CAR-T cell therapies in multiple myeloma. We have an expert on cellular therapies in myeloma, Dr. Surabhi Sidana, who is an assistant professor of medicine at Stanford University. So let's uh, jump in into some quick introductions. Surabhi, can you tell us about yourself and uh, what your clinical and research focus is right now?
1: Hi, Raj and Ashwin, great to be here on the podcast with you. Uh, As you mentioned, I am at Stanford University and I lead the myeloma CAR-T program here at Stanford. And my goal is to bring innovative clinical trials of CAR-T to our patients as well as understand why some patients respond to CAR-T, what are some of the long-term complications and how can we make it better for our patients. And I focus on multiple myeloma.
0: Let's jump right in. Um, So first, um, Survi, can you talk about the different targets for CAR-T cell therapy in myeloma?
1: Yeah, so there are several targets for CAR T-cell therapy in myeloma. The most advanced in clinical development is BCMA, or B-cell maturation antigen. Uh, there's also other targets like CD38, CD138, SLAMF7, or ps one Now, an ideal target is a target that's present on your cancer cells, but it's not present on your normal body cells. And in that sense, BCMA is a good target because it's present on plasma cells, both normal and abnormal, and also on some memory B cells, but it's not really present, at least at high expression in normal body cells, which helps us evade some of the toxicities that might happen.
0: So for the sake of today's discussion, you know, we will primarily focus on uh, the BCMA-targeted CAR T cell therapy, because as you know, those are the ones which are FDA-approved. Um, so um, can you uh, talk a little bit about what are the current FDA-approved BCMA-targeting CAR T cell therapies in myeloma, and uh, what are their indications, like in what setting they're approved right now?
1: Yeah. So, you know, several years ago, the first CAR T-cell therapy was approved for lymphoma and we were always envious as myeloma dogs. Like when will we get our CAR T-cell therapy? And so last year in March, 2021, we got our first FDA approval of Idecaptogene cell uh, with the commercial name Abecma. And then this year we got our second FDA approval of Siltacaptogene cell with a commercial name Carvicti. So we have two products that are FDA approved. Both target BCMA, and these are for patients who are very heavily pretreated. So this is approved as fifth line therapy. So patients should have had four different lines of therapy before, including being refractory to a proteasome inhibitor, immunomodulatory drug, and anti CD thirty eight antibody.
0: All right. Yeah, that's always challenging because you know now we are using quadruplets uh, for many transplant eligible patients up front. And very quickly they become refractory to triple class and. Uh, like waiting for, uh, you know, up until four lines, it, it becomes always challenging because, you know, we really need these drugs earlier uh, in the treatment. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about any, different, um, any difference in the constructs of the car in these two uh, products and also any difference in the antigen binding domain, for example?
1: Yeah. So each CAR-T cell, you know, has three parts to it. So the chimeric antigen receptor, which is inserted into a lymphocyte, has three parts to it. One is the extracellular antigen binding domain, which is often a single chain variable fragment. Then there is a a, transcellular membrane, and then there is an intracellular part, which activates CD3-zeta, and there's often a co-stimulatory molecule. Now, both of these CAR-Ts are very similar in that the co-stimulatory molecule is 4,1BB, which, you know, is a slower expanding CAR, has been associated with lower toxicity. The key difference between the two constructs is the antigen binding domain on the outer part of the CAR-T cell. So in IDA cell, it's a single chain variable fragment. It targets, you know, there's one BCMA binding, uh, this mini antibody on there. On cell, it's a bi-epitopic CAR, so there's two antibody fragments that target BCMA on the extracellular part of this CAR. And so, of course, these can target different regions, but the main difference is one versus two different uh, BCMA targeting regions there.
0: All right, and, you know, as before we go into the efficacy of the toxicity, you know, one uh, thing that we always uh, struggle with in CAR is that sometimes the manufacturing time can be long and rarely there can be manufacturing failures. Um, Have you noticed any difference in the vein to vein time or manufacturing failure between the two products?
1: Well, it's very difficult to say because uh, Siltacel just became FDA approved and we're just starting to treat patients on Siltacel and we only have, you know, years experience in Idacel. In the clinical trials per se, did not really see much of a difference, but real world patients are very different than trial patients. So I think more to come. All of these take about four to five weeks, you know, wane to wane time, sometimes even up to six weeks. So that is a substantial amount of time for both.
0: So, you know, regarding uh, the efficacy, uh, you know, we can uh, switch gears and go into the efficacy a little bit. I mean, these were two single arm trials, you know, obviously with different patient population, but looking at the big picture, the CR rate with Siltacel was almost uh, almost twice, I would say, compared to Idacel, was almost 70% with siltacell and 40% with Idacel, the CR rate. Uh, With the caveat, of course, of cross trial comparison, do you think this signal is real or do you think it could be explained by different patient characteristics?
1: Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question. And I don't think anybody can answer that definitively. I think everybody has opinions it is very difficult to compare across trials so most of the patients in both trials were triple class refractory over 80% median of six prior lines of therapy median age of 61 so on paper it might look like okay these are similar populations but we know that you know each myeloma patient can be very different even if they have similar treatments like did they progress in all of these treatments in 2 years versus 10 years you know how much uh, extra medullary disease did they have What were some of the other features? And it's very, very hard to compare across trials because of this. Now, the signal does look promising for Siltacell. and I think this is where real-world studies can be very effective. Uh, Once we get some experience with real-world data with Siltacel and Idacel, I think we'll be able to get a better sense of the comparative efficacy. And I think I encourage all investigators to participate in consortium studies so we can pool our knowledge together for this.
0: Yeah, or maybe after a few years, uh, tapping into the CIBMTR data, once they have enough number of patients with Siltacell and Uh, Idacel. Any difference in bridging therapy between the two trials, you know, the trial that led to the approval of Idacel and Siltacell? any difference that you have noticed in what kind of bridging therapies were used or how much bridging therapies were used?
1: Yeah. So, you know, there isn't, it's very difficult to piece out the differences in bridging therapy because the options for bridging are so limited for these patients. In cartitude one, initially, you know, they allowed only bridging therapies that patients had been previously exposed to, but they changed that after they saw some other side effects, which they wanted to decrease the tumor burden for. But I think it's very, very difficult to say most people did need bridging therapy uh, in both trials, but it's very difficult to compare that.
0: Any, you know, major difference in, in, in the other major efficacy endpoints, for example, uh, progression-free survival, you know, how, how did the PFS look between cell and cell in the two trials?
1: So the median PFS with Idacel was 8.8 months, extending to 20 months in patients who got into a CR. We still haven't seen the median PFS reached for siltacil. At two years, 61% of patients are progression-free. So at least the median PFS will be greater than two years. So it does appear, at least in the CARTITUDE-1 trial, the PFS is longer. Does that mean that PFS is longer with siltacil across the board? Again, the same question I think remains to be seen, but this looks very promising in the CARTITUDE-1 trial.
0: Yeah, so it's very difficult to you know parse out because of different patient characteristics, as you mentioned. And definitely, real-world studies will play a major role. Given a randomized controlled trial is unlikely to happen, comparing these two in the future.
1: Right. I don't think we're going to see Janssen and BMS <laughs> in the same sandbox here.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think now, like switching gears and talking more about the differences in toxicity. Now, How does the kinetics of toxicity you know, compare between IDA cell and SILTA cell?
1: Yeah, so there are a lot of similarities, but there are some key differences. So the SILTA cell dose is 0. 0.75 million per kg, it's much lower than the IDA cell dose of 300 to you know, 460 million uh, total cells. Uh, in terms of cytokine release syndrome, you know, more than 80, 90% patients get CRS with both of them. The question is the timing of CRS. With cell, CRS happens on median of day one after infusion, and with cell it happens seven days later. Now, why the difference? You know, I alluded to the dose, And I think it's because it takes time for the silti cell, which is given at a lower dose, to expand and reach to a critical level. And perhaps that can explain the difference in the kinetics of CRS, although the peak expansion in both studies was around day 14. But you might need a critical mass of CAR T cells before you can get CRS. And I think that's probably why. There wasn't significant difference in grade three or four CRS, which is very encouraging. It's just the kinetics. And I think this will impact where we treat these patients. Do we admit them right away to our inpatient service with Idacel and maybe with Siltacel, we wait a little bit of time after lymphodepletion and car infusion. I think each center will have to make their own decisions. Um, there's also other differences. Uh, you know. ICANNs, or immune cell effector associated neurotoxicity syndrome which is the early onset confusion and other neurological changes was very similar 17 18% in both only you know 3 4% grade 3 or 4 however in cartitude 1 trial they reported delayed neurotoxicities in about 12% of patients including 9% grade 3 or 4 and these were two types. These were Parkinsonism type with movement disorder, or these could be cranial nerve palsies or peripheral neuropathies. And again, started a month later after CART infusion. Even could go up to three months later. We don't know why this happened. We're still trying to understand the mechanism. There are some risk factors that were identified, including having a higher tumor burden at the time of CART, high-grade CRS, high-grade ICANS. And the trial across the board with both Cartitude1 and their other Cto cell trials, they took some mitigation measures to try and treat CAR-T uh, like CRS aggressively, bring down the tumor burden before CAR T. And that's actually improved uh, the rate of these delayed neurotoxicities that were seen. These weren't really seen with um, cell in the KARMA trial that led to FDA approval, but we've seen some reports in the package insert with some patient developing Parkinsonism or myelitis in another trial. So it may be a class effect, we don't know. Uh, it may be that you know, one of these is a more potent target, has a lower dose and so can bind more potently and maybe that's why it causes more of these delayed neurotoxicities.
0: Yeah, one thing, you know, recently, as you may have seen, there was a case report from Mount Sinai in which, you know, of uh, great, had grade five non eye cancer neurotoxicity, basically, and they did autopsy, there was a potential that maybe there is BCMA expression in the brain. Uh, Can you talk a little bit more about that? And do you know if that has been replicated by any other studies so far?
1: Yeah, so that was a very interesting, you know, case report in Nature Medicine by Dr. Parikh's group. And what they found was this patient who developed Parkinsonism-like features and ultimately died due to that, unfortunately, had CAR T cells circulating in both blood and CSF at the time, you know, that they passed away. And then when they looked at their basal ganglia, which is where these movement disorders originate, they found a lymphocytic infiltrate suggested that the CAR T cells were infiltrating there. And on this patient, you know, the basal ganglia also expressed BCMA. Then they went and looked in the atlas and saw that, okay, BCMA may be expressed at low levels in normal basal ganglia. But I think this is just an N of one, which is a very, you know, hypothesis generating. It was a very well done, very detail-oriented study, but it's hypothesis generating. And to my knowledge, it's not been confirmed in other studies yet. But I do think we need to investigate this in more detail. Uh, so that we can understand the mechanism of this neurotoxicity. And if it's truly because it's BCMA expressed in the basal ganglia, then it is a class effect. It's just that one CAR may be more potent, or if it expands more in the brain, might have more of these side effects than the others.
0: Yeah, that's very really interesting, because the other uh, you know BCMA-targeting therapies like BITES or, for example, ADCs, uh, I don't think, at least to my knowledge, I don't think they uh, cross the blood-brain barrier, but definitely CAR T cells can... the blood-brain barrier. So it would be interesting to see in future if other studies confirm that finding.
2: And comparing toxicities, were there any treatment-related deaths in cell versus cell clinical trial? Uh,
1: You know, I have to go back and check on the exact numbers. There were some patients with, you know, grade 5 CRS, but those weren't very high. Uh, But I have to go back and check on the numbers. I don't have uh, those numbers at the top of my head.
2: That's completely okay. What are the, some of the late toxicities of uh, both Ida cell and Celta cell? Like, you know, do we see infections and hypergammaglobulinemia?
1: Yeah. So I think it's very important, right? The early toxicity, CRS and ICANs, even rare cases of macrophage activation syndrome or other mm-hmm. organ toxicities. these can be devastating, but these are happen when the patients are still in the CAR center and we're keeping a close eye. What happens later on is equally important. And we need to pay attention is the low blood counts, which can persist, you know, 40% of patients in idacell had grade three, four cytopenias beyond a month, a high proportion, I think 20, 25% in Siltacel beyond a month. And because of these cytopenia, these patients require close monitoring. They have risk of infections. They also have severe hypogammaglobulinemia, and would require IVIG in many cases. Uh, So I think this is something we need to keep a very close eye on and keep seeing these patients back, you know, at the referral center and work with the referring hematologist so this can be managed.
2: And uh, now switching gears and talking about one of the mechanisms of resistance, I think which is very important, uh, especially with the BCMA CAR T-cell therapy in multiple myeloma. Can you speculate on what are the plausible mechanisms of resistance?
1: Yeah. So I think as we're still trying to understand, like, which one is the more predominant one, of course, there's classes of, you know, resistant mechanism. One is that the CAR T cells simply vanish, right? That myeloma doesn't get cured. There's some low lying level disease. And after persisting for a few months, they go away or that they become exhausted. Like, you know, the CAR T cells are there, but they can't do their job of killing myeloma cells because their phenotype has become an exhausted phenotype that they're no longer affected or the tumor has become smart and it now evades uh, you know, the CAR T cells by mutating BCMA or not expressing BCMA. We've seen that uh, with CD19 also. CD19 loss was a major mechanism of relapse, but with CAR T in myeloma, we're not seeing that as a major mechanism of relapse. There've been a couple of papers that it happens, but it happens probably less than 5%, 10% of the time, uh, at least with myeloma CAR T, cell, uh, and so there's other mechanisms that probably play a bigger role here.
0: All right. So we'll switch gears now and go to some of the future directions of CAR T-cell therapy. And uh, one, one of the things that I love about CAR T-cell therapy that is one and done, you know, as, as you know, in multiple myeloma, most patients are on continuous therapy. Uh, but to my understanding, there, there are some studies currently looking at uh, maintenance post T cell therapy to prolong the PFS potentially and um, hopefully, you know, prolong OS as well. So can you comment on what are the current clinical trials being planned or, or under, currently underway, which are testing maintenance therapy after T cell therapy and what agents are primarily being investigated in this setting?
1: Yeah, I think this is a very rich field and I probably wouldn't be able to cover all of the trials that are being planned because there's a lot of innovative trials being planned. But I think the most common approach that I've seen in trials that are currently, you know, recruiting patients is having an earlier line CAR-T trial with BCMA CAR-T and then using immunomodulatory drugs as maintenance primarily lenalidomide, you know, similar to what we do with transplant. We transplant patients, we let them recover, then we put them on lenalidomide maintenance. And that's happening with some of the earlier line trials with BCMA CAR-T. I also know that there are trials in development using other, you know, cell mods or images like iberdomide after CAR-T in later line because, you know, patients are len refractory at that time. And of course, there's all other sorts of trial design trying to use other drugs, but these are the main ones. I think image is probably the biggest maintenance platform that is being investigated.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's also, it's oral, so that definitely helps and um, hopefully would not negatively impact patient's quality of life.
1: That is true. Although we have to keep in mind, right, you know, we were excited by the one and done. So we're again, putting the burden of maintenance. And then the big question is, there's so much cytopenia after CAR-T, can they even tolerate this maintenance? because after transplant, the cytopenia is more or less predictable, right? Severe for like a short duration. And then there's a recovery here. It's a little bit unpredictable and we don't even understand why these patients get cytopenias. Is it inflammation from the CAR T cells? Is it just effect of the lymphodepletion? And if so, why does it last so long? Uh, probably a bit of both. Uh, so I think more to come on this and I'll be very closely watching the maintenance studies here.
2: As, as we discussed earlier in the podcast that all. You know, these two um, CAR-T products are approved in the late relapse. Are there any clinical trials are currently underway in studying in the earliest setting, like the newly diagnosed or in the first relapse or second relapse?
1: Yeah. So there is a ton of clinical trial activity in this space, as we all want to move CAR T to earlier lines, as Rad said, right? For fifth line is too late for many patients. In right. fact, there was a paper recently uh, by Smith, and group, saying that if we wait till fifth line, most people will not be able to even make it to CAR T cell therapy, right? Probably 10% or so only. So definitely there's a lot of activity. So there's two categories. One is early relapse and one is newly diagnosed. And mm-hmm. in early relapse, there are two trials that I'm watching. One is Cartitude four, which is a randomised trial of cell versus standard of care after one to three prior lines of therapy, and then Karma three again, randomised trial of cell versus standard of care after one to three prior lines of therapy. I think both of these trials are fully accrued. We just have to wait for the follow up to see what happens, uh, and it'll be very interesting because you know the standard of care is a continuous triplet. It could be dex, or a similar regimen. And then it's a one and done therapy maybe after a couple of cycles of bridging. And so very, very closely watching. I think it'll take some time to report, uh, but those are trials that have completed accrual to my knowledge. There's also some smaller phase two trials in these settings, uh, which I won't go into the details of. And then there's also earlier line trials. There's, of mm-hmm. course, smaller you know, phase two trials in the earlier line. One of them is the BMT-CTN-1902 trial, which I'm very proud to be a part of. And what we're trying to do in this trial is if you don't get into a deep enough response after transplant and three to six months of maintenance, can we use cell to increase your CR conversion rate and perhaps improve outcomes in the long term? So that trial is ongoing. There's also CARTITUDE-2, which has multiple small cohorts, both in newly diagnosed and early relapse setting that covers some of these populations. But the main trials, the two that I'll be watching, and I don't think you know, these trials will result that probably we are at the middle or end of our careers is CARTITUDE-5 and CARTITUDE-6. So CARTITUDE-5 is a trial of newly diagnosed patients which are transplant deferred. So they could be transplant ineligible or eligible, but they're not getting a transplant right up and they get VRD induction, and then they're randomized to either getting siltacel, or they're randomized to continuing Revlimid and dexamethasone. So it's a trial really of long-term maintenance versus siltacel. And in the transplant eligible setting, there is cartitude six, which is everybody gets DERA VRD, and then you're randomized to either getting a transplant or you're randomized to getting CAR T-cell therapy with siltacel, and then you get some maintenance. So, I think that will be a very, very interesting trial, but it'll take forever to complete. Uh, there's also Karma 4, but they stopped the trial earlier. Uh, so, these are the main trials that I'm watching right now in the newly diagnosed space.
0: Yeah, so I'm really excited about the Cartitude 6, you know, because that will really answer like some important questions. And I wasn't aware that in Cartitude 6, they will be doing Tara VRD induction. So not VRD, dara vrd So yes. yeah, that will definitely take, because as in the Griffin trial, we have seen that patients with dara vrd and transplant, the, the PFS curve is almost flat, you know, up until a long time. So definitely will take a long time to, to answer the question. In cartitude 6, does both arms get relevant maintenance or, or does only the transplant arm get relevant maintenance and the car CART is uh, just one and done?
1: Yeah, to my knowledge, both arms get limit maintenance.
0: Okay, okay.
1: And I think yeah. there's some consolidation after transplant and okay. then revlimid maintenance. Uh, and then uh, there is a maintenance in both arms.
0: If you had to speculate, do you think uh, CARTI will be able to beat transplant in the upfront sitting?
1: Oh boy. That's a, that's a very difficult question. Because, you know, uh, as we're coming up to ASCO, there's another plenary session with a transplant versus no transplant yeah. trial that we're eagerly looking forward to. And in the last 30 years or so, every time you've designed a higher to be <laughs> transplant, Nothing so far has been able to be yeah. transplanted. Right? We had conventional chemotherapy with VMP. Uh, then we had, you know, the IFM 2009 trial. Now we have the determination trial, which we'll see what the results of that are. But so far, whatever's published, nothing's been able to be transplanted, but maybe finally it'll take a cellular therapy to be transplanted. <laughs> you know, uh, if we knew the answer, we wouldn't be doing a trial, right? There's a lot of experts yeah.
0: here. Yeah, but what definitely, do you think I think, you know, uh, I mean, given the patients will get really good treatment like DARA-VRD induction and then relevant maintenance, I mean, these patients have very good outcome to begin with. So I think both will be fairly similar. That's what my prediction, I could be wrong. Yeah, I I think it will be, it's designed as a superiority trial, right? To my understanding that CAR-T is superior to transplant.
1: Uh, I actually haven't seen the details except for the trial, so yeah, I don't know the statistics yeah. behind the design yet.
0: My prediction is that both will be similar, but I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> now, Definitely, there is a lot of equipoise here. And I would be happy to enroll a patient in this trial.
1: Exactly.
2: Now, now, talking about the more future directions um, about CAR T in myeloma, um, let's talk a little bit about allergenic BCMA CAR T in multiple myeloma. What are allergenic CAR T?
1: Yeah. So, you know, one limitation of CAR T cells, as we alluded to earlier, is the manufacturing time, right? You need to collect a patient's CAR lymphocytes, manufacture them, that's a four to six week wait. And sometimes when we are treating patients who are very late line, they may not have good lymphocytes to manufacture good CAR T cells. And, you know, the quality of the input really determines the quality of the output here, because we're really relying on the patient's lymphocyte to be the killer cell. And so a way to get a Overcome that is to use healthy donor T cells to manufacture CAR T cells, and that's what we call you know allogeneic CAR T cells. And one donor could manufacture CAR T cells for several patients, right? But the challenge is it's CAR T cells from somebody else. So there's two things that need to happen: one, the recipient doesn't need to should not reject those CAR T cells coming in, and then two the donor CAR T-cells should not attack the recipient or with graft versus host disease or similar complications. So that adds a layer of complications while improving the availability and access to CAR T-cells.
2: So you have to HLA match for that, right?
1: Uh, We don't actually have to HLA Ah. match for that. So unlike transplant, where we have to HLA match, there's a lot of new technologies right now that we can use. So graft-versus-host disease, which is the main concern with allogeneic CAR T-cells, is caused by, you know, the T-cells recognizing the patient's body as foreign, because some of these antigens are presenting presented to T-cell receptors, and then those T-cells start attacking. What a lot of the manufacturers have done, and this is, you know, great science, is can we knock out the T cell receptor in the allogeneic R T T cells and eliminate graft-versus-host disease? And that's been done. There's different technologies for that. You know, Talon comes to mind. There's another technology called Arcus. So Talon is being used by Allogene. Arcus is being used by Precision Bio. There's also CRISPR that you could use. The different ways of just knocking out the T cell receptor gene such that it eliminates graft-versus-host disease. And so far, you know, in the clinical trials that have been reported, mainly with the allogene uh, BCMA product, we really haven't seen uh, clinical graft-versus-host disease, which is very encouraging.
2: Is there any preliminary clinical efficacy data of allogenic CAR T?
1: Yes, there is some preliminary data of allogenic CAR T cells in myeloma. It was presented by Dr. Sham and Cody now at this ASH and the ASH previous as well. And it looks at different cohorts of patients and the cohorts are small, but in the full dose cohort of 320 million cells using full dose lymphodepletion, which is both fludarabine and cytoxin, and they also use the anti-CD52 antibody, you know, to again, deplete the host cells completely. Otherwise they will reject the incoming cells. The response data looked pretty good in you know, about a 70% response rate. Again, the numbers are very small, so it's hard to say if it's comparative or not yet.
2: Um, other question I had regarding the future directions was, um by you know, BICEL, T-cell engages BITES, uh, which are also very active in multiple myeloma and probably will be FDA approved very soon. So when a patient, if you want to decide between CAR-T and BITE therapy, how do you decide?
1: Yeah, Great question. I don't think any of us know the true answer to that, but there's I think some factors, right? So bispecific T cell recruiting antibodies, they come in various shapes and sizes. There's a ton of companies Looking at them, and the most promising target is BCMA, but there's also you know bispecifics against GPRC5D, FCRH5, which is great because we need something non-BCMA. I mean, if everybody gets BCMA, then <laughs> what do you do after BCMA relapse, right? But uh, teclistamab, which is a BCMA, you know, bispecific antibodies most advanced in development and probably, you know, we expect a decision on its approval by the FDA in the fall of 2022. And so once it does become FDA av- approved, uh, if that happens, I think there'll be a discussion with your patient, right? So the advantage of CAR T right now, it's a one and done therapy, uh, but you do have to relocate to an academic center for about a month and then have to keep coming back for some follow-up at least, uh, but it's one and done. The by specific antibodies, we don't know where they'll be administered to begin with, probably academic centers, because they also had a 60, 70% CRS rate, although it's less severe, uh, very low ICANs, but you do need to hospitalize these patients at least for the first you know, couple of step up doses and first dose uh, to watch for CRS. And maybe you know, the community practices or small practices in the beginning may not be comfortable with that. So they might have to still come to an academic center at least for the first few doses, but then they have to keep coming back every week. And eventually that can probably go to every other week if they're in a deep response, but it's a lot of commitment of coming to an infusion center. Now these patients are used to coming to an infusion center and if an infusion center is close to home, that might not be a problem. So I think it's, uh, it's a choice between efficacy and convenience and other social demographic things that our patients value. So it'll really be a conversation.
0: Yeah, it's always a difficult decision when you have to choose between bites and cartes. And you know, since uh, we are on the topic, one thing uh, that I wanted to discuss with you was the access to T And as you know, the slots have been very limited. Why do you think the logistics have been have been so difficult in myeloma? Because from uh, talking to my lymphoma colleagues, I don't think there was such a deficiency of slots with lymphoma cartes.
1: Yeah, and so there's you know a lot of moving parts for access. And some of the knowledge we may not be privy to, right? Because these are manufacturers who hold yeah. all the knowledge. But my understanding is a lot of this is to do with vector availability to manufacture uh, the CAR-T cells, which has been a limiting factor for both cell and Idacel. Uh, I think, I don't know how Kite did it with Axis cell, but they somehow got their pipeline right right it's like Amazon you can get Amazon deliveries the next day but other companies are struggling so maybe it has something to do with that I don't know why one company has their pipeline right and the others are struggling but I really really hope and I know they're you know They want to help patients as much as we want to help patients here. And I know they are doing everything possible to improve the vector supply chain. Uh, I just think these are some things which are out of everybody's control right now, but I'm very optimistic this will improve.
0: Thanks, Ruby. I think we covered a lot today. Any final thoughts on CAR-T cell therapy in myeloma?
1: I think CAR-T is here to stay and we'll see a lot of innovation in CAR-T. So watch out for this space. And uh, I think there's a lot to learn for us.
2: Thank you. Thank yeah. you, Sarabi. And we hope to and I'll bring you back again in our future episodes on this podcast. It's and
1: been thank, been you my yeah, thank you for coming. My Thank you.